Bibles there, please. Today we come to one of my favorite topics in the Scriptures. I want to begin the message this morning by asking you to say the name of this church with me. It's Berean Baptist Church. Would you say that? Berean Baptist Church. Baptist is in the center of our name, and that tells you how important that we think that the ordinance of baptism is. We put special emphasis on the ordinance of baptism, but not in the way that many people think. There are some people that are very confused about what Baptists believe about baptism. Uh, They think because we do put emphasis on it and because it is in uh, or is a part of our name that we must believe that we're saved through our baptism. I remember watching on television a movie a few years ago they had a minister in a church, and they were very confused about Baptist. This was supposed to be a Baptist church, so they had a preacher that was standing up in the church, and he was wearing a cleric's collar, which we don't do. I have on a shirt and tie, and I wear a suit. I do have enough respect for the office that I don't wear a Hawaiian shirt and blue jeans with holes in them. I do preach in a suit. Uh, this movie, they had a, a preacher, and he was wearing a robe, which most Baptists don't do. There are some who do. And, but he did have one thing that he was preaching that was definitely something that we don't do. He was calling on people to come and to be baptized in order to be saved. We definitely do not believe that. But as baptism, Baptists, we do believe that baptism is very important. And today I want to talk about this subject. I want to clarify what we believe about it. Now, the greatest example that we have for baptism is none other than the Lord Jesus Christ. We find him in this text today. The Son of God was baptized. And that ought to tell us just how important that baptism is and how it should be very carefully considered. Our scripture reading today is from Matthew chapter 3. We're going to begin reading in verse number 13. We're studying through the gospel of Matthew chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And so that brings us to this very important subject today, and that's why we're talking about it on this Sunday morning. If you'd stand with me, please, we'll read God's Word. Uh, Matthew chapter 3, beginning at verse number 13. Then cometh Jesus from Galilee to Jordan unto John to be baptized of him. But John forbade him, saying, I have need to be baptized of thee, and comest thou to me? And Jesus answering said unto him, Suffer it to be so now, For thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. Then he suffered him. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. And lo, the heavens were opened unto him. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. And lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, We thank you for the time to be here today, and we thank you, Lord, for this text that we have before us, a wonderful ordinance of baptism that we're going to speak of today. Help us to understand this better and really know, Lord, why you would have us to be baptized as your people. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated. Let's begin this morning by setting the stage for the baptism of Jesus. For 400 years from the end of the Old Testament to the beginning of the New Testament, there was no prophet in Israel. God had not spoken to anyone. No person had received any revelation from God. And during those 400 years of silence, the people of Israel had become very cold in their worship. 
Now they had the Old Testament scriptures, they were reading those, and they could read the promises that God made in the scriptures, but they really weren't looking for this Messiah, the King, that should come, and they really weren't prepared for his coming. And so after that 400 years, God had promised that a Savior would come, and before he came, the Bible said that there would be a new prophet that would rise in Israel. He would come in the spirit and the power of Elijah, uh, one of Israel's greatest prophets. And he would come to announce the, the ministry of the Messiah when he came, this new king. Well, that prophet was John the Baptist. And John the Baptist burst on the scene, the beginning of chapter 3, and he thundered out a message in the wilderness where he lived about the people must repent of their sins and they must get right with God. And as a sign of that repentance, John practiced what we today know as baptism. Uh, John immersed people in water, and that was to signify that they had repented of their sins, that their hearts were clean, and they were ready for the coming of the Messiah. Well, John's ministry was so popular that there were people all over the region that came out to hear him preach and to receive this baptism of repentance. They were sinners. They needed repentance, and they needed this sign that God had given But there was one day when John the Baptist was baptizing and he looked up and he saw someone coming to be baptized that he didn't really expect to see. And that was the Lord Jesus Christ, the very Son of God. He came to be baptized of John. And there's some people who say that John the Baptist didn't really understand at this particular time that Jesus was the Messiah. Although he and Jesus were cousins, yet they didn't spend time together. They were Uh, lived in two different parts of the country, and it's probably unlikely that they had any contact or that John the Baptist knew Jesus personally. But I do think this is probably true, that Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, had told him about Jesus. I mean, I can't imagine that Mary, Jesus' mother, being the cousin of Elizabeth, John the Baptist's mother, would not have talked to him about this. That he wouldn't have told, that she wouldn't have told him about one time when Mary came to visit her, and Mary was pregnant, and uh, an angel had appeared to her and told her that the child that she was bearing was the very Son of God. And so I don't have any doubt that uh, John the Baptist's mother had told him about Jesus' virgin birth. And that by the time that Jesus came, that John was very well-versed in the Old Testament Scriptures. He'd learned that as he was growing up, as those Scriptures talked about the Messiah who had come, prophesying his birth. And when Jesus came for this baptism, I think that John the Baptist knew he was the Messiah. I think part of the evidence we see of this is when we read in the book of John, chapter 1, verse 29, uh, John saw Jesus coming and he said, Behold, the Lamb of God which taketh away the sin of the world. Now that may better help us to understand what Matthew says and what Matthew records in chapter 3 of Matthew, verse number 14, when John the Baptist spoke to Jesus and he said, I have need to be baptized of you. And do you come for me to baptize you? And so John the Baptist thought that if Jesus was going to have any connection with baptism at all, it should be that Jesus would baptize him and not the other way around. So at first John refused to do it. And that's when Jesus said to him, Suffer it to be so now, or allow it to be done, for thus it becometh to fulfill all righteousness. Now John's refusal was not sinful. It wasn't an act of willful disobedience, but rather John really didn't understand why Jesus needed to be baptized. 
Now here then is the complexity of baptism. What did Jesus mean by that statement when he said, Suffer it to be so now, for thus it becometh us to fulfill all righteousness. What did he mean by that? And why is it so important as God's people that we are to be baptized today? Well, we're going to talk about this today as we speak about Jesus' baptism and what Baptists believe about baptism. Now, first of all, today is the meaning of Christ's baptism. Jesus did not come to John's baptism, and he didn't ask for baptism because he was a sinner. Now, Jesus was the Son of God, and it was ensured by his virgin birth that he would be born uh, into a family, but he wouldn't have any sin. He wouldn't have a sinful nature that was passed on to him. Jesus had a human mother, but he had God as his father. And so Jesus was sinless, and God preserved his sinlessness by having him born of a virgin. So why then was Jesus baptized? I mean, why did he come to John the Baptist when there were sinners who came for baptism? Well, I think we would say first, it was for his identification with sinners. Jesus grew up in a normal household. He had brothers and sisters, and mostly he did what normal children of his time would do. The Bible doesn't tell us very much about the, uh, the, the childhood of Jesus, except one incident where it tells us that at the temple he came, or he was 12 years old, and he came to the temple, and there he confounded the scribes and the priests by his knowledge of the Scriptures, and, and Jesus taught them. But other than that, the Bible doesn't say anything at all about Jesus' childhood. Well, when Jesus came to John the Baptist, the time differential from when he was born in chapter 2 to when we get to chapter 3 and his ministry begins is about 28 to 30 years. And so here is Jesus, the sinless Son of God, entering into his public ministry, and the very first thing he does as an act of ministry is that he identifies with the people that he came to save. He was not a sinner, but Jesus wasn't reluctant to be identified with sinners. And we find that during his life, during his ministry, that it's remarked many times that Jesus was a friend of sinners. He was found among sinners. And this is really such a wonderful thing about Jesus because he stood, he, he didn't want to stand apart from us. He, he, he didn't look at us and say, I won't have a part of that. He saw our sinfulness. He saw our wickedness. He saw our propensity to do all things against God. And he looked at that enmity that exists between every man and God. And Jesus looked at that. And he did not say, I won't have anything to do with that. They're too wicked. They're too vile. They're beneath me. Jesus didn't do it. But instead, he saw our helplessness. He saw our sins. He saw the consequences of our sins. Should we die in those sins? And Jesus came to take our sins away from us. And so as the Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, that he who knew no sin became sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So Jesus is a kind, compassionate Savior. He was willing to identify with us. And so he came to this baptism and he submitted himself to the baptism of John. And when he did that, he was saying, I will become sin for you, those sins that are symbolically washed away in baptism. I will take those sins upon myself and I'll wash you clean in my own blood. Jesus was willing to identify with us. And then he was also baptized for the redemption from sins. Now, I want you to hear me very clearly. Baptism is a figure. 
And what it does is it really tells the story, the most important thing that Christ would do. Christ came to redeem us from our sins, and baptism pictures the way in which he would do that. Jesus came to be baptized, and his baptism would forever put this indelible stamp on the ordinance of baptism as a picture of how every believer in Jesus Christ is redeemed from their sins. How is that? How are we redeemed from our sins? Well, it's not the baptism that does it. It comes by the sacrifice of the cross. Baptism is a picture of how Christ was immersed into the sins of his people. The whole weight of our sins was was placed upon him. And Jesus took the full wrath and the fury of God of our sins upon himself. And he took that to the cross and he defeated it. He died for it. And then he was taken down from the cross... He was put into the heart of the earth and our sins were left there in that grave never to be remembered anymore. And then on the third day, Jesus arose from the dead victoriously. Death and hell could not have victory over him. Now that's what baptism pictures. As you, uh, you as a believer, when you go into the waters of baptism, you declare that your sins have been placed upon Christ. He died for those sins and then he arose from the grave. And baptism is a demonstration of that. It shows that you've been buried with Christ and that you rise to walk in a new life where sin no longer controls you or condemns you. Now, that's why Jesus was baptized. Three years before his death, he went to baptism. He went to the symbolism of baptism to show what he would do for his people on the cross. How important was it? Well, Jesus walked 60 miles to be baptized of John. He went from Galilee to a part there, to a part in the lower Jordan next to the Dead Sea, and there Jesus was baptized. Now, I don't think that you can miss how important that it is. Why do we have Baptist in our name? Well, we do because we don't believe that anybody can be saved without the cross of Christ. No one can be saved who hasn't trusted in his death, as the payment for our sins. Nobody can be saved who doesn't believe that he died, that he was buried, and that he rose again for our justification, for salvation. That's what's pictured in baptism. Now, it never saved anybody. Never saved anybody any more than it saved Jesus, but it does picture what Jesus did for sinners. He identified with us by taking those sins upon him, and he paid that redemption price on the cross. So do you need to be baptized? Well, if you're saved, you do. Jesus gave us that example of obedience. He was obedient to the death of the cross, and he demonstrated what he would do for us when he saved us on that cross by going into the waters of baptism. Now, the next thing that we need to talk about is the the mode of Christ's baptism. And this is one of the things that differentiates us from many other groups. The mode of Christ's baptism. How was Christ baptized? I mean, by what method was he baptized? Well, I think the scriptures are very clear about that. In verse number 16, the scripture says, And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up straightway out of the water. So that tells us that Jesus was in the water. And so the method or the mode of this was immersion. Now, I want you to notice, first of all, concerning the mode, that it is important how you do it. It is important how you do it. Now, why do you suppose that there's so much confusion about how you do it? I mean, why do we, are we so confused today? Christian groups differ on this about the proper way to baptize. 
Now, some people will say, well, all you need is just a little bit of water. You just take a little bit of water and you sprinkle it on the head, and that's sufficient. And there are others who say, no, that's not quite enough. You need to take at least a cup of water, a little bit more water than that, and you need to pour it on their head, and that is baptism. But as Baptists, we say, no, the way that you need to do it is the way that the Bible describes it. And that is, you need to put the person all the way under the water. You must immerse them in order to have a proper baptism. Why is there so much confusion about that? I mean, why do we differ so much? Well, there really wouldn't have been any confusion if it hadn't been for the King James Version of the Bible. Now, all of you know that I preach from the King James. I believe it's the very best English version that we have, the very best translation of the Scriptures. And really, there's nothing wrong with the way that the King James Version describes baptism. But the problem is that the King James translators used an invented word. It wasn't a very popular word at the time that they began to translate the Bible, but it was a, it was a word that was being used in the English language at the time, but, but it really wasn't the word that should have been translated here in the King James Bible. It was a word that was new to the language when they translated it. Now, at the time that the King James was translated, there was much argument about the mode of baptism, and that's because Roman Catholics and, and some other groups had, had uh, stopped immersing in water, and they were sprinkling or using a fusion, and they did that because that was just an easier way, a more convenient way of baptizing. Well, the King James translators took this word from the, from the Greek language. Now, uh, King James, who commissioned the translation of the Greek manuscripts into English, believed that sprinkling or was all right for baptism, and you really didn't need to immerse. But the King James translators had a problem with that. They knew that they had to be true to the translation. They didn't want to offend the king, but they weren't about to translate the word incorrectly. Now, the meaning of, of this word bapto, from which we get baptism, is immerse. It means to dip. It means to plunge. And there's no doubt about that because the Greek already has a word for sprinkling. That's the word rentizo. It also has a word for pouring, like they do in a fusion, and that's the word luo. So bapto was a very common, everyday word in the Greek language, and it didn't always have a religious significance. In fact, we find it in the King James Bible, translated in other places as dipped, such as when Jesus took the bread and he dipped it at the Lord's Supper. So the King James translators were not going to substitute any word wrongly. They weren't going to substitute the word sprinkling. They weren't going to substitute the word pouring because they knew that that would be an improper translation of the word. And so rather than translating the word bapto, they just brought the word over into the English language. They didn't translate it at all. They transliterated the word. And so now we have this English word, English word, baptize. And it became a very common English word. And that's because the King James Version is the best-selling version of the Bible in all of history. And so all English-speaking people around the world could read this word in their Bible that said baptize. Now, that opened up a door for reinterpretation. And so there were many people who became confused about the way to baptize. And if the King James translators had left this alone, and if they had translated it just like they did the rest of the Bible, then we would be reading here that Jesus came to John to be immersed in the Jordan. Because that's what the word means. Now, is it important then 
how you do it? Well, there's no question about that because of what baptism pictures. Baptism pictures the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. You can't picture a, 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 a putting someone into the grave by sprinkling water on them no more than you can bury a person by sprinkling dirt on them. You can't picture a resurrection with sprinkling. But you can if you put that person all the way under the water and bring them back up out of the water, that's a picture of a resurrection. So how you do it, it's very important because that's the way that Jesus was baptized. And it pictured what he would do. He would be buried, he would rise from the dead. Now, there's no one who has the authority to change this picture. It's important how you do it. And if you take the proper symbolism out of what baptism is, then Jesus going to John to be baptized would be pointless. It was a picture of what he would do on the cross. You know, it's interesting when you visit Israel, you can go to a place uh, just south of where the Jordan River flows out of the Sea of Galilee, and they have a place there where, where you, can be, you can be baptized. Now, there are, it's kind of pointless for you to do that if you've already been baptized, but there are people who do that. They go to the Jordan River. Now, what they do with people, do we have a picture here of, of shows today? They take these people. This is in the Jordan River. And of all these people, they go down into the water. Now, the second slide shows us that the person is totally immersed in the water. And then, of course, they bring that person back up. Now, why do you suppose that right there in the land of Israel, right there outside of the Sea of Galilee in the Jordan River, that they're doing baptism like this? And they're not out there on the steps of that place overlooking the water and pouring or sprinkling water on someone. They don't do it because the way that John the Baptist baptized, the way that he baptized everybody, the way that he baptized Jesus was to take him down into water and bring him back up out of the water. So it's important how you do it. Now secondly, it's important when you do it. Now, again, there's much disagreement on this between Christians. Some people will bring a little baby into the church, and they'll christen that baby. And of course, the word christen comes from the word Christ. And so they believe that when they christen the baby, when they sprinkle a little bit of water on them, that what they call that baptism brings that child into Christ. Well, as Baptists, we would never christen a baby. We would never baptize a baby because when you do this is very important. I once heard a story about a man who brought his baby to a priest for baptism. And the priest said, well, are you prepared for this baptism? And the man said, well, yes, I think so. My, my wife has prepared lots of hors d'oeuvres and appetizers. And the priest said, no, I don't mean that. I mean, are you spiritually prepared? And he said, yes, I've got all the spirits. I've got a keg of beer and a barrel of whiskey. Now, those of you that have a Roman Catholic background, I don't mean to make fun, but you know that this is not far off. We've come a long way, baby, from the way they used to do it in the Old Testament, or New Testament, rather. So we notice in this third chapter when John baptized people. Not once did he say, bring your babies so that I can baptize them. But he did tell them they needed to bring something. Back there in the third chapter, verse number 8, he told the Pharisees and the Sadducees, he said, bring forth fruits, meet for repentance. In other words, show me something. Bring me something that shows me, show me by your life that you really have trusted Christ as your Savior. You have repented of your sins. So when should a person be baptized? When they've repented of their sins. Now, baptism 
presupposes that a person has repented of their sins and that they've trusted in Christ. And so as Baptists, we'll not baptize anybody who's not repented of their sins. We won't baptize anyone who, who hasn't placed their faith in Christ to save them. So we won't baptize infants. They can't make a conscious affirmation that they have trusted Christ as their Savior. Now, there's another reason why we don't do it. All baptisms in the Scripture came after repentance and faith. You'll not find in any Bible text a call for or any demonstration of an infant baptism. Why? Because only people that were saved could be baptized. A few weeks ago, we were talking about the Ethiopian eunuch at Acts chapter 8. He asked Philip, he said, here's water. What hinders me from being baptized? You know Philip's answer? Philip said, if you believe with all of your heart, you may. That's the condition that he placed upon it. You must trust Christ. You must believe him. Now that's essentially the very same message that John preached. Repent and believe, and I'll baptize you. Now no one repents without believing, and and. No one believes without repenting. That's what we call inseparable graces. And so when the Bible talks about someone repenting of their sins, it also means that they have trusted Christ to save them. So we are not, as Baptists, going to baptize anyone who's not repented and believed to be, that uh, believed in Christ as their Savior. So it's important when you do it. So if you've been baptized as a baby, if you were sprinkled, you don't have biblical baptism. A true believer in Jesus Christ needs to be baptized at the time that the Bible says to be baptized and in the way that it says to be baptized. Now, thirdly, it's important why you do it. Now, be sure you get the when, be sure you get the how, but you don't want to miss this. Why are you baptized? Well, I said a moment ago that Jesus was baptized in order to identify with sinners. The reason you're baptized is just turn that around. The reason you're baptized is to identify with him. You are a sinner. And so as a sinner, you are being identified with the sinless one. Now, you've heard me say this over and over. If if you've been in Berean Baptist Church for very long, you've heard me say that your identification with Christ is not when you come before the church... It's not when you tell people that I have been saved, when you confess it with your mouth. Now, uh, you need to do that. It's important that you do that. You confess it in your mouth because you have confessed it in your heart. But that is not your public identification with Christ. The public identification is when you demonstrate that you have believed. And that's what we do when we take someone into the waters of baptism. It's a public confession of Christ that I will be identified with him. So we bring people up before the church and we let the the church know this person has believed. And then we ask the members of the church, do we have permission to baptize this person? And when that person goes into the water, when he's baptized, he's saying, I'm making a commitment of public identification with Christ. Now, if you haven't done that, if you say that you're saved and you haven't been baptized, then you are disobedient. And actually, that betrays your belief. You see, you can no more refuse to do this than Jesus could have refused to be baptized uh, to fulfill all righteousness. He would have been refusing to do what God wanted him to do. Now, if Jesus had refused baptism, it would be the same as refusing to go to the cross. 
He would say, I don't want to go to the cross. I I don't think that I need to do that. I don't want to die for sins. And when you refuse baptism, you're saying, I'm not willing to identify with him. I really don't think the cross is all that important. Now, I believe if a person says that they are saved, and you explain to them that baptism is an act of obedience... We find it in the Bible. New Testament believers were baptized. It's commanded by the Scripture. And if you tell a new convert, if you explain to a person about baptism and they refuse to be baptized, then there's very strong concern about whether that person really knows Jesus Christ as the Savior. So this step is so important that we find every believer in the New Testament was baptized except for one, and that was the thief who was on the cross. The apostles would have never allowed any person to have a part of ministry or to work in church if they'd not been baptized. And yet, today, we have churches and even some Baptist churches that allow unbaptized persons to have a part in the ministry. But we won't do that. We won't do it because we're true to what the Bible commands us to do. Jesus said to do this. He said, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. The New Testament commands baptism, and so we as Berean Baptist Church, we will baptize converts. Now, that's the commission of the church, and we do want to be obedient to the Savior. Well, does that mean then that you can't come to Berean Baptist Church and you can't come to listen to the preaching if you haven't been baptized? Absolutely not. We want you to come to church. We want you to attend here. And we want you to learn the truth about what the Bible says. It's our purpose here to teach you the truth of what you should do as a Christian. Now, am I telling you something here that's harsh and unkind? Am I telling you something that's really not the place of a, of a preacher to say? No. I'm not telling you anything more or less than what John the Baptist preached and what Jesus preached and what the apostles preached and what our Baptist forefathers have preached all the way down through our history. And so if you find fault with me, you find fault with John the Baptist and with Jesus, with the apostles and with all of those preachers from the time of Jesus up until now. So what is the mode? What's the method of Christ's baptism? He was immersed. His whole body was immersed in the water, and that's the way that you need to be baptized. Now, finally, to show you how beautiful and how important that baptism is, let's look at the miracle of Christ's baptism. Baptism is not a trivial thing. Jesus walked 60 miles, as I said a moment ago, to be baptized of John, and there was something very special that happened at his baptism. Look here at verses 16 and 17. And Jesus, when he was baptized, went up, straightway out of the water. Lo, the heavens were opened unto him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and lighting upon him. Lo, a voice from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. So Jesus went to John for baptism, and by so doing, he left us an example to follow. This example was so pleasing to God that the Trinity of God was displayed right there before John and all the people that witnessed this baptism. Now, why is baptism such a beautiful display? Well, first of all, because of the testimony of the Trinity. The Spirit of God descended upon Jesus like a dove. 
Now, if there had been any doubt in John's mind who Jesus was, all the doubts were erased in that moment. The Holy Spirit of God descended upon Jesus in the form of a dove. That's one of the reasons why you see the Holy Spirit depicted as a dove in literature and on, on cards and so forth. And that's because that's the way he appeared at Jesus' baptism. But there was also a voice that came from heaven. This was God the Father speaking, the audible voice of God. Now, that had only been heard one other time. You go back into the Old Testament, and you find that God thundered from Mount Sinai. When he gave Moses the law, God spoke out in an audible voice. And how appropriate it is that, that here a second time at the baptism of Jesus, that God speaks from heaven again. Now, let's think about what took place in the first time that God spoke. The first time, God gave the command for sacrifice, all the things that would take place in the temple or tabernacle worship. And their sacrifice was codified in the law. And so they had to make all these certain sacrifices, specific sacrifices that would speak of the once-for-all sacrifice that Christ would make for our sins. Now, in all of those years... Up until the time that Jesus died on the cross, there was not a perfect sacrifice that was made. Now, even though God commanded that they had to bring the very best of their animals, they had to inspect them to see, is there a spot? Is there a blemish? Is there anything on this animal? They visually inspected it all, and they could only bring the very best animals for sacrifice. And yet all of those animals they brought for all those many years, there was not one single animal That was a perfect sacrifice. But here, when Jesus gets ready to go to the cross, and in the picture of baptism, God the Father puts forth his own sacrifice. His sacrifice is the perfect sacrifice. So when Jesus went into the waters of baptism, he was the perfect sacrifice for sins. His ministry was about to begin, and he would live the rest of his life through that ministry in those three years, never having committed one single sin. He would demonstrate that he was the perfect Lamb of God. And so he went into the waters of baptism, signifying he would die for sin, that he would be resurrected from the grave. And so God spoke from heaven when Jesus was baptized, and he said, this is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. Now, God spoke when the law was given from Mount Sinai, and he spoke from heaven again when all righteousness was fulfilled. Now, do you see how important it is? you see how important baptism is? Why would anybody want to mess with this? Why would anybody want to play around with this? Why would they change it? God spoke. Why wouldn't they do this? Why won't Christians be baptized in the way that God says to do it? God spoke. It was pleasing to him. It was a miracle. And so we wonder, why do people delay? Why do they say, i got to think about that? How can God make this any clearer to us? What else could God do to show you how important it is than to speak from heaven and say, my son did this, he's my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Now, God was so pleased with this that the book of Hebrews tells us that God has in these last days spoken to us by his son. You know what that means? means God's not going to speak from heaven again. You're not going to hear the audible voice of God from heaven again. Now, you hear God speaking through Jesus Christ. God has spoken in these last days through his Son, because his Son is pleasing to him. 
Now let me show you then one other reason why Baptists are just so enthralled with the ordinance of baptism. We think it's important to baptize, and we baptize with the fullness of the formula. We use what's called the Trinitarian formula. Now that doesn't mean that we have a special potion that we pour into the water and we mix it all up just to make sure we get the, get the uh, mixture of the water just correctly so the formula is right. There is no saving, there is no cleansing power in the water. There's nothing in the water. But we baptize with a Trinitarian formula, meaning that we baptize in the name of the Trinity. Every time that I baptize, I say these words. Upon a public profession of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as your personal Savior, and in obedience to his command, I baptize you in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. The reason we do that is because at the baptism of Jesus, the fullness of the Trinity of God was seen right there. God the Father spoke from heaven. God the Son is the candidate who's being baptized. And God the Holy Spirit came down in the form of a dove. Now, do you see what we're saying here? This is so solemn. This is so beautiful. It's so humbling. It's so profound what happened in the baptism of Jesus, that we cannot pass this off as being insignificant. This can't be something that we say, well, we can just take it or leave it as we choose. It is so important. Now, I believe that baptism ought to be a joyous occasion. But sometimes I wonder why it is that we don't take our shoes off when we baptize because we're standing on holy ground. We're seeing the picture that Jesus Christ himself gave us. Sometimes I think we ought to bow our heads in silence. We ought to consecrate the solemnity of that moment. I'm not advocating that we mourn at baptism, certainly not. But I am advocating that when we baptize, that we not only see the joy of that, but we don't forget what it means. Jesus was the perfect Son of God. He went to the cross to die for our sins. He identified with us by dying for those sins. And we identify with him when we are plunged, when we are dipped, when we are immersed into the waters of baptism. Now I want to conclude the message today with this thought. Whenever we baptize, never forget to look at the cross. You know, I'm so glad that we put that cross in the baptistry. You should never wonder why I say that going into the waters of baptism is one of my favorite times in the ministry. I walk into that water beneath that cross... And there, in a beautiful picture, we show what Jesus did when he died on the cross. Now, baptism doesn't expressly picture the death. That's why I don't beat people up before we take them down in the water. The fact that we bury them presupposes that they've died. They've died in Christ. So it pictures the burial and it pictures the resurrection. And it's just a beautiful picture. So, why would again, a Christian ever refused to do this. When this is the picture that Christ gave us, why would we ever want to, to miss the importance of doing this to being obedient to the Lord? And I just have to ask, if you haven't, be, haven't been baptized, don't you agree that Jesus died for you? Don't you agree that he was buried? And don't you agree that he rose from the dead? And don't you believe he did all those things to save you from your sins? Then what you ought to do is be obedient to him as a believer in him. Jesus said, 
Suffer it to be so now. Allow this to be done, because thus it becometh to to fulfill all righteousness. And that's why Baptists baptize. It's the beautiful picture that Jesus gave us of his death, his burial, and his resurrection. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word and what we learn from this. Lord, we, we do want everybody to clearly understand once again, baptism is not the way that we're saved. Baptism has nothing to do with us being able to go to heaven. But baptism certainly is obedience. It is a, an act, an outward act that says that we do want to be identified with you. And as your people, we don't want to be identified with anyone else. Lord, I pray that you might impress it upon people to understand the importance of baptism. And Lord, as we practice baptism, we want people to see that are lost, that don't know you as Savior, that Jesus did die on the cross, that he went into the grave, that he was buried there, and he arose that we might be saved. There's only one way that anyone can ever be saved, and that's to believe what you did on that cross. And Lord, help us to remember that every time that a person goes into the waters of baptism. Bless in our invitation today. Speak to some heart. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.